is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. Learn everything you need to know to make a living outside the 9 to 5 grind and crush it at life. You'll learn from inspirational guests and in-depth discussions. Go from employee to entrepreneur and start creating a life you love and still pay the bills. So here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Let's get on with the show! This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status in recognition for their commitment to social entrepreneurship. That is it. It is officially December. Christmas is coming. So (laughs) you have Wayne's stamp of approval to get your Christmas on. What's going to be in your sack this year, Wayne? (laughs) (laughs) I totally was not expecting that. Behave yourself. Sorry. Just in the festive spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I honestly don't know. I I think kind of as you get like... When when you adult, <laughs> you're like when you just wake really, up and you've got a your beard. Parents are like, so you... what do you want for Christmas? And you're like, mm, I don't don't really know. Actually. Amazon vouchers, please. <laughs> I know, right? But then you always kind of feel like it kind of sucks the joy out of Christmas when you get. I, I like having like things to like really unwrap and open up. Yeah. Well, now my mum. I mean, my mum says to me now. I mean, I'm like, grateful for the Amazon vouchers. Don't get me wrong. I love a good Amazon voucher. My mum says to me now, she's like, well, you're not going to enjoy Christmas now till you've got your own kids. You just won't get it anymore. It won't be the same. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and it's true, though. Like, well, it no, just doesn't have, have the same magic. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. have the same magic. Oh, so happy Christmas, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's not quite Christmas yet, but you have my permission. Get those Christmas songs on. It probably cracked the I think that's the thing for me. Well. It's not so much getting Christmassy, it's the Christmas songs. I don't think Christmas songs should happen until December. Am I being a bit of a humbug? Have they started? They haven't started. Oh, they would have started by now. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, my mum's got a CD and she just like whacks that on once it starts getting mm-hmm. festive and then you just sing along you're dancing around the house, to be honest. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, this is not our Christmas episode, though we are doing one and I'm really, really excited to do it. Oh, yes. Um, but this is not our Christmas episode. We have another interview for you. From Jamie Lee. And I actually came across him because um, actually I think it was LinkedIn's algorithm actually just threw... His contact details in front of me. Oh, technology! <laughs> and then I saw that he was doing like a, a talk on digital inequality at TEDx Wandsworth, and so I thought, actually, that's something quite interesting. Let's get him on and speak about it. He's a youth worker for the Prince's Trust, and he's just really like he's doing as much research as he can to find out like mm-hmm. why a lot of young people are getting mental health issues, how technology technology is changing is technological unemployment coming and all these different questions that we like discussing ourselves i thought why not get him on he's a great guy and uh, yeah he'll he'll share his his own like research with you guys and keen-eared listeners will also notice that that probably the most important part of this interview is absent <laughs> and that's me what um, you'll find is the the conversation flows so well <laughs> there's a <laughs> there's deeper conversations <laughs> no mention of actually I don't know because I've not actually listened to the interview at this point but Shocking. I'm going to presume no mention of no there's got to be a mention of Apple surely Apple reference I don't think there is actually Gary V reference I don't think there is so Ken Robinson reference I don't think so and Star Wars reference so if you guys want to say this this episode is your most favourite of the lot <laughs> it's understandable <laughs> anyway uh, so I'm really keen to listen to this interview I'm sure the listeners are as well. So let's get into it. Here's Jamie. 
So, um, Jamie, welcome to the Powerful Nonsense podcast. Really proud to have you on. Um, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, no worries. Um, I'm Jamie Libra. I work for the Prince's Trust as a youth worker, um, and I support young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into employment, education, and training. Um, and I do that via um, a course that's called Get Started, which is a small one-week uh, themed engagement program where we um, use things like film and music to support young people uh, move forward with their lives. And for those who are probably listening and don't really know what the Prince's Trust is, maybe we've got people abroad, um, could you quickly explain what the Prince's Trust is? Yeah, um, so it's a youth charity uh, in the UK, the largest youth charity in the UK, um, and we support young people using lots of different courses to be able to support them into their next needs. So you've got courses ranging from self-employment um, to get hired, uh, sorry, get into's, which are all about getting young people hired and into careers, get started. We've got team program, which is a 12-week personal development program. So basically, within the ages of 13 and 30, we have scope of working with young people at lots of different levels and basically finding a course that's most appropriate for them. All of the Prince of Trust courses are free. All of them pay for the young people's transport. So we try to remove as many barriers as possible to help support young people move forward. Good stuff. And so how did you get involved with the Prince's Trust? Um, originally, I was actually supported by them, which was my original exposure to them. Okay. Um, I'd spent a lot of time in and out of school, in and out of hospital. I used to have seizures while I slept all the time, okay. which is sometimes up to three times a night, three times a week, wow. um, which has a huge impact on your education and moving forward. Um, and it's lots of things to do with self-confidence and motivation and just being able to feel that I could actually move forward with my life. And then I was signing on at the job center and heard about uh, the Prince's Trust team program. The original draw for me was being like, well, there's a residential where you go way to the Peak District, you can do some rock climbing, ad sailing. And I thought even if I just drop out on week two, then I would have had some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the most phenomenal, life-changing 12 weeks of my life. Um, it gave me lots of opportunities. I really built my confidence. Um, I've, I've always been very technically literate and high level, high level of digital skills but we didn't really have any qualifications behind me and it was a really nice way to get exposure to employers to say actually I'm quite good at something um, and I got a job coming straight off the back of it and it wasn't something that I was like actually this is 100% for me um, but from being on the Prince's Trust I realised that actually the organisation that I kind of want to work for is the Prince's Trust mm-hmm. so um, that's how I originally got involved with them. Okay, so and originally I sort of managed to find you on LinkedIn. I think you're you just popped up on my feed actually. So I don't know, maybe one of my friends because I've got a few friends who are in the charity sector. And then I saw that you was doing this um, TEDx Wandsworth talk coming up, and it was all about digital equality, which is something that I'm quite interested in. So what made you so passionate about this? Um, originally, I would say technology's been amazing for me as an equalizer. Um, I've always been. I grew up in an environment where I had access to technology. My dad was a professional hacker, um, so he taught us many of the tricks that he knew. um, And we we were very fortunate from that point of view. So that but that was my level pegging field. That was the way that I got back on track considering I didn't have qualifications behind me. I didn't finish school. I didn't really have any GCSEs. My area of expertise was technology and I was able to use that to kind of level the playing field to be able to compete at the job market. But when I started working in youth work, I became more and more aware of how many people don't have that exposure, who don't have those opportunities, and actually doing more than 
although, although technology for me was an equalizer, for many people it's actually the opposite and it's, it creates an inequality and mm-hmm. it combines with social issues that we already have. Um, so when I, as soon as I started noticing that, I was doing lots of more research into the digital divide um, and things like that and working on lots of programs that help develop technical skills and abilities and trying to talk to employers about what they need going along to things like the big infrastructure debate and speaking to organizations that are saying we can't get young people into the tech jobs that we have at entry level and then realizing the specification that they're having for young people to get in at entry level which is something like well we want them to have be between 22 and 26 but with 30 years experience and you're like where's your logic you know where's your thinking with this um and it, the more research I've done on it, the more exposure I got to it, the more passionate I really became about saying, actually, this is going to have a huge impact and we're really not taking on board how big that impact is. Are there any sort of like stats that really sort of stood out to you? I mean, you're talking about a digital divide. What, what's, what's, what are people saying about that? I suppose a lot of what I'm saying I kind of tie into like with mental health as well because I think that the digital divide creates a huge problem with um mental health as well so they've definitely got my statistics sort of that but the digital divide is the difference between those who have access and those who don't and at the moment it's something like 92 million households now have access in this country but out of those only 20 26% of those in the lowest income which means that every time something like the power of the web increases and it's able to do more and people are able to access more the further those who don't have access um, could come from those who do. Um, the way I always kind of think, think of it is almost like if it's a roll road with um, toll bridges and things like that on, that say digital skills is the end of the road and you're trying to travel along and you come across these toll booths and things like not having access is one of them, then all of a sudden you can't get as far as somebody else along that road. Um, and it once again ties in with other social issues, so it tends to be very much a case of what causes deprivation, what causes basic literacy problems and stuff like that still affect people with digital skills as well. So I guess it would be quite surprising for people to hear that like people in the UK actually don't have an internet connection. I know we hear about like people maybe lacking some digital skills, but I didn't know to that extent in terms of actually people can't actually get online. Well, the digital divide has definitely been shrinking over the last five years quite significantly. But ultimately... For usage of anything, you have to have a certain amount of human filters. Um, And what I mean by that is if nobody really shows you how it works, if nobody really tells you how to find the information that's relevant, then having access is just one of the toll booths. And actually, you've got other toll booths along the way that are still stopping people getting along that path. So um, it's something that they reckon the national statistics estimate that in this country, 16 million people lack basic online skills. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because, um, I mean, I do a lot of work with charities as well. I do a lot of um, video production work and it seems that people think, well, okay, just because you've got like a internet access, just because you've grown up with technology that somehow you actually know to use it. And obviously there's a, a lot more that, to it. Like, uh, for example, uh, me and Wayne always talk about how like easy it is nowadays just to reach out to people like like I did with you. I just found you on LinkedIn. I think even that is a skill that people just don't know is available. For me personally, LinkedIn is... What- one of the things that I'm most passionate about getting young people involved with because it's an online digital footprint of your portfolio. I always tell them that basically Facebook's how you want to be perceived by your friends and family. Twitter's how you kind of want to be perceived without a filter at all. 
Um, LinkedIn is how you want to be perceived as a professional and actually people can do things like uh, headhunt from it. If a young person hasn't got a CV they can create it from LinkedIn. So I do a lot of workshops with young people to get them building up a professional network because it could be, especially if they're like the young people I work with who don't have access to it, they come from different backgrounds where they won't have the same access as somebody who does have access to people who are in the know and in the workplace, it can actually be a really great way to start building up that professional network of contacts to be able to support them. It's funny, actually, because I was um, in a school about two, um, yeah, about two weeks ago, and I think these kids must have been like, um, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, and they were actually learning about writing a CV. And mm-hmm. even the kids in the class were like, oh, nobody reads a CV, nobody reads a CV. And then I was like, I asked them, I was like, so um, do any of you um, use LinkedIn? And literally nobody in the class knew what LinkedIn was. I was just shocked. It, it doesn't surprise me. It's... Um it's definitely coming more into fruition and it's more so at the top, it's more so with people within the industry who are already there. They're like, actually, this is an amazing idea. Why am I not using this to collect my professional networks together? Whereas young people aren't necessarily having the exposure to that until they get into the workplace when actually what they need to be looking at doing is getting on to things like LinkedIn before they go into the workplace to help them get into the workplace and to continue recording what they're doing in the workplace and the achievements within that moving forward. I think there's a lot of focus on actually getting a good CV rather than actually thinking of like alternatives. Like I talk, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship on here and it seems that is that just too far ahead for young people? Is it let's get them kind of understand, OK, how to get a job and use digital to get a job. Well, but I also see there's a massive opportunity for like young people to actually start businesses online. I think when you talk about digital equality as well, I think there's so many options available out there for young people to actually have businesses online. But at the moment, like you say, we're still stuck on the whole CV thing. It's a lot about kind of what I intend to talk about in my speech is saying, actually, although we're moving into a digital economy and we have lots of opportunities within the digital sector, we still have quite an industrialised mindset Mm -hmm. and we still kind of have quite an analogue thinking to how people should be getting into work, the way that our schooling works, and we haven't really caught up with technology Um, because we're still passing on these values, we're still passing on this interpretation of what it's going to be like. And the digital revolution is going to change all of that, and it is changing all of that. You can already see the changes beginning to happen. And we're in what I consider at the moment an area of digital disruption, and I don't think disruption is necessarily the problem, because disruption isn't the aim of it. A better future is the aim of it. Disruption is just kind of a byproduct of it. Um, but when it comes to all things job related and stuff like that, we still have quite old values that we're using and imparting onto young people. And I think that causes a huge amount of issues when it comes to young people's identity and mental health because they're being told and having their expectations set for one kind of world that's out there when actually the world we're moving into isn't like that at all. But then that's where I feel the problem lies because I do when I do go into schools and I see these young people and then they're still, like you say, totally stuck in that sort of industrious mindset where they're only thinking, okay, I need somebody to hire me. Somebody needs to give me a job when I finish. So they're kind of still trying to get that piece of paper together, make sure you're getting the good grades. Grades are going up every single year. Yeah, there's like you say, they're going to come out and it's going to be a different world. It'll be a world where actually maybe the boss wants you to tweet him first and go for a coffee. Maybe it means you go and do a bit of free work for them first and send them over a video or maybe. And I feel like that's where we're massively missing the point. I know we're kind of trying to, like you say, sort of stick that industrial mindset, maybe make it a little, make it look kind of digital by putting it online. But Mm -hmm. kind of for me, it feels like it's kind of missing the point. 
Yeah, just because something's a CV online, even with LinkedIn, even just because it's a CV online, doesn't actually make it part of supporting you in the digital economy. It's uh, the digital economy involves a lot of different mindsets, and we're still trying to figure out. I'm saying the digital economy as if I know exactly what it looks like, and I've got a picture of it <laughs> on my wall. Um, it's not like that at all. We're still trying to figure out what kind of shape that takes. Um, but what we can take from that is knowing how we can utilize technology to best support young people. Um, and once again, this is what causes that whole digital divide and digital inequality, is we still haven't caught up, we're still setting expectations wrong, we're still not helping produce young people for the environment that they're going to be going into. When you were talking about mental health, like what sort of findings did you find in terms of that? Is that like the mental health because people are out of work, or is that because, I mean, you've also had a point about identity on there? Um, so identity, I think, ties. It's the main thing that I'm trying to draw out in my speech. Really, is that you, I feel that we have a very a conflict of identity when it comes to raising young people with an industrialized mindset and then putting them in a digital economy. Because ultimately, anything that's not working to the way that we've set the expectations for, then makes them believe that they're doing something wrong. And, I mean, the Prince's Trust um, published a document called the Youth Index every year. And it has done every year since 2009. And, I mean, just to kind of reel off a few statistics from that one, in 2015, young people were less happy about their emotional and physical well-being than ever before recorded. Um, the scores were the lowest in the seven years the index has been out. Um, money remains the lowest ranking aspect of young people's happiness. Confidence is at the lowest since the index has been done, especially when it comes to relationship with friends. Uh, 36 young people feel in, um, inadequate on a regular basis. That jumps to 53% of all needs, which is not in employment, education and training. And closer to 70% of young people, if they've spent over six months not in employment, education and training. For me, those kind of things suggest to me we're doing something wrong along the way because lots of young people with these mindsets are feeling inadequate. Anxieties like raised a huge amount with amongst young people. All of these things are going to are like red light flashing, and I think it does tie into that whole sense of the industrialized mindset and a digital economy. I think it's the biggest basis of it. This isn't any different than the industrialized revolution in that sense. A lot of the problems, a lot of the lessons we can learn. We can learn from what went wrong with the dig uh, with the industrialized revolution, because yes long time ago but the lessons are the same you're changing the workforce the workforce is changing shape and therefore you have to start building up social values that then match with the economy that you've got going on i mean the title of my speech is uh, equipping the uh, equipping a generation to take their place in the digital revolution and a lot of that is not just about digital skills and developing digital skills but it's also about psychologically preparing people to take their place and what does sort of taking their place what does that mean um, basically, how does a young person contribute to society when we're in full fruition of the digital revolution? And also looking at the young people that are affected by digital disruption at the moment, what can we do to help support them to still be able to take their place in the digital revolution? We interrupt this broadcast of Powerful Nonsense to talk about our sponsors for the show. First of all, we've got to thank the University of Northampton, who've been sponsoring us for quite a while. Uh, thank you to them for our support. Um, if you are looking to go to university and you're thinking about setting up your own side gig as well, your own business, then I'd say Northampton's probably the place to go. 
Uh, they specialise in social entrepreneurship as well. So it's all about business with a social impact as well and good conscience. So check them out, northampton.ac.uk. So also, we've teamed up with Fiverr. Now, if you don't know what Fiverr is, it's like a creative marketplace where you can kind of like pay people a small sum of money just to maybe write a blog post on your behalf, design a blog header, design an Instagram image or whatever. Infographics, all that sort of stuff. Even jingles for your podcast if you're deciding you want to compete with us. <laughs> Prices literally start at a fiver. That's why it's called fiver. And five dollars. So if you're in the UK, that's what, like three quid? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good. Sometimes they'll up it, but as a starting point, think five pounds. Head over to fiver.com. That's fiver with two R's on the end. F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And when you get to your... Checkout. Checkout. That's the word I was after. You enter in the little coupon code... PN podcast, and we'll give you 20% off. How good are we? Decent. See, you tune in, we give you 20% off Fiverr. So with that out of the way, let's go back to the show. Do you think education is moving quick enough? Because obviously that's the problem we're getting. Year on year, more young people are coming out and obviously coming out with the wrong mindsets. So from my experience, and once again, it's a very limited experience on the world, um, (laughs) But I used to sit in job centres when I worked for the Prince Trust on outreach. And mm-hmm. I used to go into job centres to try and get young people to tell them about the Prince's Trust and how we could support them, what kind of things they might want to do. And I used to meet a lot of university students. In my experience, the university students were the hardest people to help because they'd gone through the whole of the education system being told that this is how to get a job. You get good grades, you work hard on it. Um, you go to university, you do well at that, you'll come out and you'll be going in at 25 grand a year. The thing is, that's not the case anymore. And if it ever was the case, it certainly isn't anymore. Um, But when I used to sit in the job centres, if there was somebody who had been struggling academically, I could get them into an entry-level job quite quickly, they'd happily take it up, and then they'd start moving forward and they'd start developing in their career. And then sometimes I'd hear from like a year later and they'd been promoted a, two, a few times, whereas the university students were like, no, you don't understand, I've got a degree, I need to be going in. It's like, the problem is you're probably still going to start off at the bottom of the ladder. You might be fortunate, you might walk in, but the chances are a lot of young people still are going to start off at the bottom of the ladder and work their way up. Stop acting as if academics is the be-all or end-all to get you into career because people skills will get you far as well. There's lots of different avenues that you can explore to get good employment in something that you enjoy doing. Um, but we've got to stop telling young people that a degree is is going to equate in a job because it just doesn't. Yeah, I think people are coming to that realisation as well and that doesn't entitle you to a, to a good job. Uh, and from my point of view, my biggest concern with, with it was... When you sit in a job centre and you see them probably every other week and they come and talk to you and you'd go, look how things are going, what's new. Um, they're the people that you can see how demoralising it becomes after six months of not being in a role and having to sign in in the job centre and still having the expectation. And you're like, but mate, look, you're still at the job centre. We need to get you into doing something, even if it's just for your own benefit, to stop you feeling whatever way that you're feeling because you just every time I see you you're more and more demoralized mm-hmm. um, and that's just, and once again that's a very limited exposure um, just from sitting in the job center which isn't the cheeriest of places at the best of time mm-hmm. um, 
but you can begin to see the effect that that can sometimes have on young people. I know when I left university, initially, I wanted to go into television. And then when I just did a job search, I realized there was a lot of digital jobs out there. And suddenly you start exploring, oh, what's SEO, what's analytics and stuff like that. And before long, you could actually start educating yourself. Do you think that's a there's a problem as well that young people just aren't aware of actually how much they can learn usually for free online? It's definitely like there is a lot of opportunities that anything that I missed out on the three years that I was in and out of school, I picked up online through lots of online courses and just doing my own research on it. I'm very much self-taught myself a lot of the skills that I have. Um, that being said, I was brought up in a digital environment, so I had the opportunity to know how to be able to do that and was able to utilize that. I think a lot of young people don't necessarily have those skills and it's unfair to kind of think actually you should have those skills and you should be able to self-teach. Um, why aren't you doing that? I think uh, from a work point of view, digital is definitely the place to be looking at the future. Um, Telefonica did a, um, a study at the end of 2013 where they reckoned that three quarters of a million of digitally skilled worker jobs would be needed to power the UK's economy in 2017. And if we can't facilitate that, it's going to cross the UK economy as much as two billion a year. In London alone, 27% of all growth is generated by the tech and digital sector. So from my point of view, I'm thinking, why are we not passing on these digital skills to young people? Where are we missing out along the line? Why are they not getting exposure to something that they clearly need to fit in the job market? Yeah, and I think it's a big shame, really, because I was um, I was at an event yesterday, and I sort of I don't know if you've heard about digital badges, like um, um, Mozilla's digital badges. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So I was actually at an event doing some filming there, and obviously they're trying to kind of get companies on board to um, endorse these different badges, which are kind of like an online CV. And I was thinking, okay, is that that's a great thing as well? But then obviously with the whole global economy if you're kind of talking about a lot of digital um a lot of digital skills missing now that we're so globalized aren't, aren't we then if if we're already handicapped for the fact that we don't have these digital skills there is obviously going to be a lot more people all around the world who do and i mean it, competition is going to get a lot harder is it not yeah i completely agree and this is where i suppose i go into dangerous territory of Becoming, uh, becoming as a, coming across as having too much of a socialism point of view. But actually, <laughs> from that point of view, you have to start thinking about, is our jobs what we should be measuring our identity on? It's one of those, it's a huge big identifier mm -hmm. of going, look, first thing someone normally asks you is, what's your name? And then it's what you do for a living. And mm -hmm. that must mean it has a huge tie into the identity of a person. But if the, dig if the market's changing, if lots of jobs do become digitized and automated and there isn't really those room for some people within the job market anymore um i think it's andrew McAlfie in his ted talk um about the digital economy and i, I hope i'm quoting him right on this but he <laughs> says that the 2000s were the first year that it had less people in the job market than the year before okay. um which i think is i believe that's the right way they put it but basically that the workforce was smaller at the beginning of the at uh, the end of the year than it was at the beginning of the year um and that begins to make you think right well does everyone need a job in an economy what form does a digital economy take if does everyone need that kind of sense does everyone need a job basically yeah, yeah, I think um, it's, I think it's a great point. I think yeah. like if if you even think about it, like everyone says now, digital is sort of taking out the middleman. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's the whole thing is it, there's lots of different systems that 
people are looking into of what a digital economy says. Once again, a digital economy isn't a fixed thing at the moment. It's very much in a state of flux, and people are still trying to define what kind of shape it's going to take. Personally, one of my favorite concepts is a resource-based economy, um, which is a project that um, the Venus Project does a lot of work on. Jack Fresco is the architect that designs a lot of the structures and a lot of the um, concepts behind it. And that's all about saying, if you uh, will people still contribute in society if there isn't the incentive of needing money to be able to do it? <laughs> and it, this is a, um, and actually they reckon well in a digital economy, like a resource-based economy, does it matter? Because if you've got something that's based on allocating resources, um, based on need, then it doesn't matter if somebody's contributing or not because the digital side of that takes over, the automization side of that takes over, and it doesn't matter if they're contributing or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about this because um, I think someone, one of my friends, shared this post the other day, and it was like, um, I think it was, I think I've got it in it. India basically allowed this guy to create this generator, this electric generator, which um, creates like free energy. They've managed to, you know, create electricity for free. And I've got this sort of theory that it seems that digital is going to make a lot of the cost eventually go down. I think we're in this sort of position at the moment where everything's booming. You've got house rates going up so high just prices are going through the roof but i really feel like there's going to be a massive drop you're going to get these electric cars you're going to get um electric planes you're going to get this free electricity or wind-powered electricity and so my theory is that actually although people think i mean everyone feels they need a job because they need to have that money we'll eventually get to the point where actually you need a lot less money to live and then maybe that's where people start to actually focus on the art focus on the social aspect focus on actually community yeah and it's a very interesting concept with a lot of it. What I've had to do in my speech is very much pull back on a lot of visions of the future because as soon as we start looking more into the future, the more variables are, the more people can really deconstruct your speech and say, well, that's just a theory, that's just a theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many different forms that it might take. It's very hard to decide how people are going to act and once again what shape things are going to take. But based on technology growth, there's, it's based on an exponential growth model called Moore's Law, and that's to do with all technology development that basically um, processing power doubles, the size shrinks by half, um, and what chips, what processing power has been able to do, does doubles every couple of years, which if that continues along the same growing trend, we re- reach what's probably quite popularly known in science fiction, and if you've ever seen something like humans, is the point of uh, singularity, which is where technology equals the intelligence of a human being. Um, so once you've got technology that's able to automate, that's automated, could be built for purpose and could do a job to the same degree of what you could get from a human, then why do you have a human doing it? Because the human takes up a lot more resources to be able to support that. Mm-hmm. But then at what point, from a societal point of view, well, then what's the function of a human? Because really they don't necessarily have to do anything. Then we're going to get into some deep philosophy and, and blow a few minds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to say, the more, you, more, the more I've noticed you go into the future, the harder it is for um, people to kind of grasp what's going on. And it's very much open to interpretation. And once again, these are all theories. They're based on logical explanations. But once again, it's very difficult to predict what the future is going to be like, which is why I try to focus on what we need to be doing at this point in time and 
saying things like basically, yes, digital skills, we can already tell that's an important thing. Mental health, yep, we can really tell that's an important thing. That's what we need to equip people because we don't know what the future is like. But the only thing we can do to help people now is equip them with the ability to problem solve, equip them with the ability to adapt to a changing environment because we don't know. Was there any sort of research you kind of found while you was looking um, that really kind of blew your mind that you kind of left out? Um, there's one bit that I'm still playing with at the moment, which I'm probably going to say his name wrong, which is Fawkes Winnicott, um, Theory of the False Self, which is other people's expectations can become an overriding importance overlay or contradicting to the original sense of self um, if the one connected to the roots of one's being, which I think my interpretation of it is that people's expectations then become that person's reality. So your par- when folks talking about this, he's talking a lot about um, parental influences and saying actually if your parents expect you to be something then and they put those expectations on you, then that, that's what you want to become and anything that doesn't meet up to that standard, you begin to be like actually I've not reached who I am, I'm not really achieving what I want to be able to achieve. Um, but it's just the whole sense of a false self and actually it becomes your real self mm-hmm. um, and I find that really interesting because I think once again those kind of imparting values that aren't necessarily relevant for the time people are growing in I can see why people do lose a little bit of sense of identity why lots of mental health issues do happen because they don't feel that they're meeting the expectations of what's around them but do you think they're also exposed to probably more expectations than ever before? I mean, before you only knew what your the people in your neighbourhood had now, and now we can actually like go on Facebook, go on Instagram, we can see everybody, what everybody's achieving, and everyone kind of goes, okay, so which one am I expected to become? Um, we've got a greater awareness than we've ever had in the world before, and that has its, like everything, its benefits and its negative. Once again, I think it comes down to expectation settings. If people use social media, they can develop things like missing out syndrome because they feel that everyone's life is very glamorous and that's what people are posting and people have a lot of control over what their digital persona is. But from that point of view, you can also educate people and say, yes, but think of it at this point of view, that people put on there what they want to be seen, that they're managing their own digital persona. It's without a filter. Um, And I think as soon as you can teach young people that, then actually that doesn't have the same effect it doesn't have the mental health issues that are attached to it at the moment so are you pessimistic or are you um, optimistic about the future the digital future um i guess i can I guess it sounds like i'm a doom and gloom kind of person but it's not at all um <laughs> no i think you really have to focus on what what the negatives are because i think i think that's what people actually need sometimes just to give you that kick up the arse and realize actually if you don't kind of listen to what's being said you you are really going to fall behind you are going to be that digital divide and it's a dangerous place to be i think probably my perception of it is we need to have a very humanistic approach to this and we've got a Although focusing on individuals is one thing, we need to really focus as a society, as a group of people to decide what we want to do and how we want to be perceived and what we can do to support people. So I'm definitely not doom and gloom on it. I think there's a great opportunity here to really create something that the human race can be proud of. And I, I genuinely believe that there's a huge opportunity, the, the most in in. The upcoming revolution, I think the most valuable resource is human potential. And that's what we're missing at the moment. We're focusing very much on, right, how do we do this? How do we do this? But actually forgetting 
that people's place in the digital revolution is going to be important. That's what we've got to focus on. What do we want humankind to be like? There's lots of different theories around uh, how how we're going to develop, what we're going to do. Um, there's a really interesting one called Homo Evolutus, which is is the next stage of human evolution, combining cybernetic technology and stuff like that, being able to control your environment, which is brilliant. But what does that mean for us as a society? Because we're very we're interconnected. We're all very much based on the environments around us and our exposure to people, and that's what we've got to focus on is the people side of the digital revolution as well as the aggressive expansion of digital. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, because we've got this connection, because we have the, and I guess ultimately we have this, um, we can all work towards this one sort of global voice as well. It, very much the opportunity to, like when people, when you're saying about um, exposure being to what you know on your street, well, actually you've got exposure of issues that are going on all around the world, exploitation of people in poorer backgrounds, you've got the exposure of what people do to make it to the top. So much information, but we do have to have those human filters in place to help us process it, to help us understand it. Um, but then you've got greater access than ever before. So I personally think it's a really great opportunity. We've just got to be able to utilize it to the best of our advantage. Do you think um, virtual reality is going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works? Um, no more than social media. I think it brings a very similar a social um, etiquette around social, that social media does and realistically realistically in virtual reality um, the, it's once again about education it's about informing people we've got a greater understanding of the human mind than ever before let's impart that to young people let's help them understand what's going on because it's when you're seeing all these things out of context it's very difficult to process whereas we can have people that can help with that development and that's what we, I think we miss out on at the moment is people helping explain what's going on in the world to us every episode every interview actually we um, ask our guests two questions obviously the show is called powerful nonsense mm-hmm. so the first question is what's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given and the second bit is what's a what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard um, the most powerful piece of advice that I've been given oh interesting um, <laughs> I would say, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a lesson as such, but from my experience of the world, it's just keep trying, keep going, always believe in the best. And if you get hit, knocked down, it doesn't matter. You can get a thousand no's, but it only takes one yes. Um, and you might have to keep on trying, but don't always take it personally and just keep moving forward. And that's all you can ever do. As soon as you stop moving, that's when you begin to fall into a state of negative mental health um so my thing is just keep moving forward and that definitely applies to upskilling yourself with the digital skills making sure you're on top of all the different changes definitely i mean once again you might find that like from my experience of right i've had a exposure to the digital sector but i like the youth sector i like working with people so at some points i have to give up probably different skills and development in the digital sector to be able to focus it on what I want to do with people and working with people. So it's all about that compromise and balance and you might be able to find it, but as long as you're moving forward, you can work on it. <laughs> and so what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard? Um, have you been through our academic system? Um, <laughs> I, I think it probably goes along the lines of, it, I remember being told in my GCSEs that they shape your life 
was like, well, I haven't got any of those and I'm still alive and I'm still happy. So um, I would say academics, yes, it has an importance, but don't let it rule your life. It's not the be all and end all. Good stuff. So I wish you the best of luck with your TEDx um, Wandsworth talk. No, thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate the time. Excellent. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. So that was Jamie Lee, TEDx Wandsworth talk coming up. Exciting stuff. Yeah, I think it was quite interesting to kind of even just debate where we think the future of maybe employment will go and what will happen if there actually isn't any jobs available. What if less people are working? What? How will you contribute to society? No work. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for tuning in, guys. Uh, we will publish the TEDx talk. Is it TEDx or is it TED? TED, TEDx, TEDx. TEDx talk. We will publish the TEDx talk on our social media as soon as it becomes available to us. So, if you want to catch it, then we suggest you follow us on social media. You can follow us on the Twitters at PN underscore podcast or... You can hit us up on Facebook. We'll post it on there for all to see. And we desperately need some likes. It's a bit embarrassing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everybody likes us. One, a few people, a few people like our show. We'd well, love to get to like a thousand before the new year. That'd be amazing. That is wishful thinking. <laughs> it's really wishful thinking. <laughs> but if you could head over to Facebook and give us a like, we'd be incredibly grateful. So thanks for tuning in, guys, and we will catch you on the flip side. See you later.